Welcome to Source, all things working dogs. I'm here with a very special guest on this episode, and uh, I'm excited about that, as always. I don't think I've said I wasn't excited about an episode yet, but I'm AJ Vargas, law enforcement turned CEO of Custom Canine Unlimited, and bringing you some education from the working dog side and hopefully a different perspective and some things to think about. But I'm excited about this guest because for those that know me, I have a house full of females, <laughs> all women in my house. So I'm a big proponent of that. My sister argues with me all the time about the equal opportunity for women and creating that space for women. So we have Misty Puckett on here today that's going to give us some insight from a female canine handler perspective, which I'm so excited about. Misty, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself. We'll open up with that. And uh, for those that don't know you uh, outside of, you know, Sean McCluskey, tell everybody <laughs> else about you. Awesome. Again, my name is Misty Puckett. I uh, started originally in Richland County in 2012 as a patrol deputy and then i transferred back to my home county which is ori county it's where i grew up and lived the majority of my life and had the opportunity to take the canine handler position that was available and it was able to fulfill my dream of working a dog and returning back to my home so it was a great thing i have been with the ori county sheriff's office for eight years now i am a corporal and I'm on my second dog and I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Well, that's great. I think that's a unique perspective of your own, right? Of policing in your hometown, meeting people that you grew up with and maybe even having to enforce the law on some people that you grew up with. How is that? It can be interesting. This has happened a few times, but the way that I handle it is I handle them the same way I would handle a stranger and hopefully you know the encounter is a better one in the sense I already have a connection if you will but if you're breaking the law then unfortunately I have to do what I have to do. Missy so you've had a long career in law enforcement worked for a couple agencies and now you're back home uh, why canine? It's a very good question, and I'll start with saying this. I have desired being a law enforcement officer since I was in high school. I grew up in a military family, and both of my brothers went into the military and law enforcement. My dad was in the Marine Corps and in Vietnam. The desire to work a dog probably started in my senior year. I was in love with German Shepherds and actually met a young officer at the time that worked a dog. And I think that was probably what sparked that interest of being a law enforcement canine or being in law enforcement and working a dog. Yeah, that's a great thing to be able to fulfill your dreams, right? I didn't have that same dream, I guess, coming up. Law enforcement was something that I did later on after leaving college. I think through a special operations field, and having that opportunity and seeing dogs work and just being amazed by that. But more so for me was the training side of things, like being able to teach a dog something 
that it didn't know before and learning how to do that is kind of why I gravitated towards the training aspect. So I think that's just remarkable to see you fulfill your dream. Um, so I've known you from your first dog through now your second dog and just also seeing the evolution of you grow as a canine handler has been great as well. And so I think that's a remarkable story. It's just great. And you mentioned, you know, growing up in that type of home life that kind of exposed you towards that type of lifestyle, right? I know your husband as well. So you kind of brought that home, that military home to now in marriage. But also I was thinking as you were talking about that, I was thinking about the voice of reason, which is also on this call with us, Maya Simpson, because she grew up very similar to you. Her dad was in the Marine Corps. And so I think that kind of struck a chord with me when I heard you say that. My dad was also in the Army. He chose the better path in life and not to go with the Marine Corps. But, you know, that's a conversation for another day, right? <laughs> right. Not impartial with that. Um, but I will say this. It, it kind of exposes us through a life of discipline, right? From an early age, we have that discipline that our parents taught us. Not to say one way is better than the other, but what I will say is this. I knew from very early on that I needed structure in my life because that's how my brain works. And that's very much how I continue to work to this day is very structured. And I see that with a lot of Army and Marine Corps brats that we're just structured that way. So it's very easy to make that transition into law enforcement because that's how we grew up, right? Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about maybe some challenges that you face, but I want people to get the perspective of the type of department you work for. How many dogs do you have on your unit? So Horry County is actually the last county in the state of South Carolina that has a county police and an Horry County Sheriff's Office. So sometimes it gets a little confusing with people that aren't aware of how it's structured, but for the Sheriff's Office, as of right now, we only have one dog. There are plans for the future to bring on at least two to three other dogs that will be primarily narcotic detection. But as with anything, it, it takes time to get that built. But right now, we just have the one canine. Well, you know, it could go either way, right? When a department or an agency has one dog or they venture into the canine, industry, I'll say. I've seen it go good or I've seen it go bad. And unfortunately, there's some handlers that have made it go very bad for agency. I remember going to a Terry Fleck class and I'm aging myself a little bit by using Terry Fleck, which is a remarkable person. I've known him for many years before he passed away. But I'll go back to some statistics that he gave me one time. And he said in one of his classes that a canine unit that has four or less dogs that has a bad experience will take about eight years to build their unit back up after they get rid of them because of that bad experience. And I always go back to that because you have an opportunity as being the only canine handler in your unit or for your agency to sway it on the bad side, which will set you guys back on average about eight years or give them the, the best light possible and the value of a canine team and really grow it. And that sounds like where you guys are at right now. You're in the crossroads of making a decision where the decision's being pushed towards growing the unit. 
which is a testament to the work that you've put in so far. And I know a little bit about that. So I'm gonna let you speak on that a little bit on what it took you to get to the point to where you're at today. It is, I'll start off with saying that my agency has been phenomenal when it comes to anything canine related and what I need or request. And if it wasn't for that, I don't think we would be where we are today. My first dog was my blessed cane. He was a German Shepherd and a very big one. And as people would call a mama's boy, and he kind of was a mama's boy. <laughs> so when I first uh, took the position and started working with Kane, he was trained in drug detection. I contacted Alan Cox, who was at the time the head trainer and a very phenomenal person and got it approved by uh, Sheriff Lott and my sheriff to allow me to go to Columbia and train. So I went once a day every week for about three months and all we worked on was obedience. That was it. Yep. It took that three months to get him to where he was actually a working dog and not a pet. Um, there was a transition between the uh, first handler and me getting him. So there was some downtime for him and at no fault of anybody's because nobody at that point in time was certified or trained to handle him. So he had a few months where he was just that, a pet, if you will. And it took a lot of time, effort, and energy into him to get him just basic obedience. And then we took it from basic obedience to we added handler protection to him. And we did articles and started with tracking. But about the time we started with tracking, he was a little older. And I started noticing he was having some hip issues. So I made the decision at that point in time not to pursue tracking any further because I didn't want to shorten his career. So yeah. we chose not to pursue tracking with him. And throughout that time, because I find it interesting that you were going once a week for a period of time, you were finding departmental need, which is you need to be on the road. You need to be helping us. We're probably short staff like most agencies are during this time. And on top of that, the canine hasn't proven itself yet wholeheartedly with an agency, if I had to guess. And so they said, okay, we're going to let you take over this venture see where it goes but we're going to have to be flexible in some things that you mentioned at the time alan cox which is still a great friend of mine him working with you in richland county stepping up and saying yes come on in and come train with us because it's as much as alan cox is doing as it is richland county and them helping you as well right absolutely and a huge part to my department for allowing me to in approving me to do that because at that point in time where I lived Columbia was every bit of two and a half hours and we did this for the most part every week for three months so that was a lot of time away from my department and it was a lot of expense in the sense of gas and that kind of stuff but they also understood that it was also very important for the advancement of not only Kane as a working dog, but also the unit as well. 
Yeah, that's right. And never complaining and getting it done. Long days, obviously, long weeks of work to get the training in, the drive time, which you're telling me that's five hours of driving just in a day. Correct. And, you know, just combating all that together can be challenging. And I know a lot of people would have given up, you know, through those challenges, but you didn't. You stuck with it. And as you've stated, you're with your second dog now. That's remarkable. But what were some challenges that you faced? I will say with Kane, with him being a shepherd, there were some things that we had to deal with along the way. Hip-wise, he had to have a full hip replacement at, wow. I think, and a half to two years. And on board with all this. And when it becomes too much, I see agencies that will back away from it, especially when they haven't been shown the importance of having a dog and the value of having a canine team when it was just, well, we have a dog and we have a handler, but we don't really have a canine team that's being used to benefit the department. And that's really what it's about, right? It's not about you. It's really about how this asset benefits the department. So there's some challenges. There are some things to work through and some things that certainly some other resources helped you. And I think the interesting point to that is, is I don't know if people caught this in the beginning, you used to work for Richland County, right? Correct. Right. And even so, you left Richland County, went to Horry County, and the sheriff still, sheriff lot still allows you to come train, which says a lot, right? In my opinion. Yes. So those can't, you know, they should have heard your voice. You are a female canine handler. And I think that brings up some interesting points. I live in a family of nothing but females. I have three daughters, a wife, and I always tell them that they can accomplish anything they want to. And do you find that to be true, even in the canine industry? So for me, I... I don't want to consider myself as different because everybody has their own capabilities and their own personality. For me, I'm a very competitive person. So I like to meet challenges head on and I tend to not shy away from them. So I physically prepare myself. I try to mentally prepare myself for being able to function in a job and especially working a dog where it's very physically demanding and not use the excuse of, well, I can't do that because I'm a girl. And I train myself to where I feel as confident as most males, if you will, male canine handlers to be able to function at least as equal as, as they do. Okay. Now, so as a canine handler, let's take the female out of it, right? What are some things that maybe people that are listening don't understand about being a canine handler? Like I said, take the female out of it. So the biggest thing I think people don't understand, and, and I've heard this before, is, oh, well, you get to play with a dog all day. That's not exactly the case, because when it's 110 degrees outside, guess what? We still have to train our dogs and we still have to make sure that they are as equally prepared during the summer as they are in the winter. It's something that we as a handler is responsible to do because 
you know, in the event our training gets subpoenaed, the defense attorney's not going to want to hear, oh, well, it was hot, so we didn't train. So I think that's the thing people don't understand is what is actually required when it comes to training, because it's not just all inside. There is tracking, there is running outside dope sessions, and these things have to be done if it's spring, summer, fall, winter. We still have to go out there and we still have to train and be as proficient as possible. Wow. Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't see the hard work that you put in for that one deployment to be successful. How many hours it took for you to be or get to that point to where you could be successful, at least putting yourself in a position to be successful. The amount of hours you put into your dog to be successful on just one deployment is remarkable. And a lot of people don't understand that. You're absolutely right with that. But let's take it a step further now. That's for canine handlers in general. Now, what about you as a female? What are some things that maybe I don't even understand as a trainer that you have to put up with or that I wouldn't understand because you are a female with a dog? What is a point that you would make to me? I think it's more or less not necessarily something that I can teach, but it's the amount of demands on our body. So since working cane and now working my second dog, Rinko, I have had three bouts of tendonitis in my elbows, uh, one in my right and two in my left. Obviously, I'm right-handed, so I work my dog on my left. So when you have these ailments, and is it caused from working a dog? Yeah, it's more than likely the root cause of it. However, I can't say, well, I can't work my dog because my elbow hurts. You just have to suck it up and do the best you can. And that's kind of the biggest thing is just the demand on the body uh, running tracks. And I'm sure anybody that knows me know that I have fallen several times, you know, (laughs) because it just, it happens. The dog goes faster than what sometimes you're physically capable of. And people don't see that aspect of things. People don't see the tracking through the woods and over logs and, all these different things or the demands of holding the leash, especially with a bigger shepherd or even my female, Mal, she's 65 pounds, holding on to a leash and, and allowing the dog to work and not hindering that, but also, you know, maintaining a good grip so that you have control over your dog. Now, is this any handler or is this female specific? I would say it's possible for any handler for sure, but I think with females, because there is obviously a difference in strength between a male and a female. So what a male may not have to use as much strength, I'm having to double the strength because of the strength of the dog. So I think there is a link You know, those are great points to bring up. And we always fight, if you will, the difference between being a male or female in our industries, right? And we always, I think, fight that battle where we say females can do anything that males can do and vice versa. Do you find that true to be the same in our industry when it comes to being a canine handler? No, I'm not going to say across the board that it's the same because what I struggle with may be different than what a male struggles with. And I think 
in all reality, it's going to boil down to strength. Even though I do physically work out, I do stay strong, but I'm not going to be naturally as strong as somebody that also, a male that also works out and stays fit. I can, I can run head to head with them, but at the end of the day, you can't compare the natural strength ability to a male versus a female. Now, granted, are there some out there that are a whole lot bigger than a lot of males and probably have extra things that they partake in? Yeah, absolutely. But for natural strength and natural ability, you just can't compare the two. Not saying that you can't work on it, but you just can't compare the two. Right, right. But that still hasn't hindered you from accomplishing and being as good or if not better than some males in our industry. Is that correct? I'm, and I'm talking about in relationship to being a handler. I don't allow that to be an excuse as to why I can't do something. And I think that has to be a mindset that you have to have is it doesn't matter that you're a female. It's your desire to do the best that you can and be the best that you can. And at the end of the day, that's what it takes to be a successful handler. Well, in reality, a canine handler responds to more high-risk calls than anybody else in law enforcement, and that's been proven time and time again. You know, SWAT gets called out. When they get called out, they know they're going to something dangerous, right? From a canine perspective, you're responding to all these calls, whether it be drug-related or tracking, even if it's somebody that's supposed to be nonviolent, it's inherently a dangerous situation, right? And you're probably more at risk and vulnerable than any other time when you're on the back of that leash tracking somebody that's unknown because we're in a disadvantage from the beginning. Would you not agree with that? 100%. And so with that being said, as a female, I can only imagine now the mental preparedness that you have to have to face that on a day-to-day -day basis and having the confidence to do that not just in your capabilities but now in your shooting and maybe your grappling and in the capabilities of your dog to assist you and i just it's hard for me to vision the preparedness that you have to go through in order to handle all that and i think a male being alpha males if you will and the reasons why we get into law enforcement in general we have that mentality but i have to wrap my head around the fact that you as a female have to now be prepared for that in every single situation knowing that you may not have the strength as a male so how do you cope with that how do you handle that the way you put your dog or what side you put your dog on and things of that nature but how do you really prepare for that so I'll give props to my husband. He's retired law enforcement and he's a, he's a firearms instructor and he does teach personal defense and that kind of stuff. It's one of the things that he's always pushed me is in a thing that he says quite often, be comfortable being uncomfortable. And what that means is you have to reach that level of where you start to feel uncomfortable. And then you have to push past that and train that part. Everybody can do well in an environment that they're comfortable in. But take a situation that they're uncomfortable 
and you start to see them fall apart. And the importance of not only for me, but for anybody, because everybody's going to be different, is finding that spot that you are uncomfortable. And then that's where you start training and pushing. And he pushes me a good bit. We shoot a good bit more than what the average law enforcement officer does because we do have a range in our backyard. So we have that capability of just saying, hey, let's go shoot 50 rounds or let's go you know, train. And we usually have a purpose of what we're working on. But, and I understand most people don't have that in their backyard. They don't have that resource. They don't have that capability. So I'm very grateful that I have the opportunity, but you just have to find that spot where you just start to feel uncomfortable and find a way to start feeling comfortable in that. Well, that's crazy that you brought that up because it always, I mean, it taps into a lot of things that I think about when I see handlers and how they train. Think about it. Those of us that are handlers and we've been to group training and we have these teams, I'm fortunate to see things from a training perspective. But think about it. How much time do we spend doing things that we love to do and enjoy and that we're good at so that we don't look bad or we don't feel uncomfortable around other people? So we avoid those things where we are uncomfortable and we excel and do the things that we're good at because it makes us look good in front of everybody else. But you hit on so many points there on being uncomfortable and pushing yourself in those areas. But I can relate that to tactics. I can relate that to training. I can relate that to life in general. How many times have we not stepped off the ledge because we were uncomfortable? And the times that we have, how much success we have had and found because we take on that little bit of discomfort. When a dog, we can put a little bit of stress in a puppy to make them better as an adult. And research tells us that. And we've seen it time and time and time and time and time again. Those are the dogs that can handle stress because they were introduced to stress early on in their life. And oftentimes, even as handlers, we avoid uncomfortable situations in training. And we never achieve the results that we should have. And so what I'm hearing from you is that's where you're getting your confidence from. That's where you're getting your assurance that you're going to come out ahead in the fight because you've pushed yourself where nobody else will. I agree. And for, for me specifically, ideally, you never, you never make it to the ground. But guess what? That possibility is there. Then you need to get comfortable being on the ground and fighting on the ground. And that's one of the things that he and I have worked on is, okay, you're on the ground. For me, if I had somebody that was overpowering me, what do I do? And what I have found is the more prepared you are, the less likely you are to panic in the event you are in that situation. And that has been a huge help for me because I not only get to experience that I now know how to you know go about getting out of that and I personally think there's a difference between thinking in your head on what you're going to do versus actually putting yourself in that situation and building that mental blueprint if you will all right if this is how I end up then this is what I've got to do to get out and at the end of the day if it comes 
a deadly situation, nothing that's out of the question, whether it's eye gout or whatever you got to do to get that person off of you. But if you don't put yourself in that uncomfortableness, then the likelihood of panic panicking once you are there is significantly increased. Yeah, I think that's great. And again, that's not just for all of our female listeners, that's for everybody. Um, so great advice. And I think it's something that we can all learn from, especially put our, putting ourselves and being specific and diligent and putting ourselves in those situations where we're not comfortable or we're not good at tracking or we're not good at this and getting out there and just doing it and getting out of our own heads and putting ourselves in those situations where we're uncomfortable. And then we can go into the tactics part of it and even talk about that and that mentality. You hear about all these survivors and it comes down to that mental preparedness that they said they weren't going to lose or they weren't going to die or they weren't going to not succeed. And that's what carried them through that. So let's talk a little bit about um, as a female canine handler are there some things that you see because you train with a lot of people you train with a lot of agency and you have a chance to sit back and observe are there some things that you see across the board with male handlers that you think a female handler has to leg up on them naturally the only thing that i would say that would be a difference and i don't know necessarily that it would be considered a leg up but as a female, you're entering in a primarily male industry, not even just law enforcement as a whole, but the can whole canine world. So you come in already with having to feel you have to prove yourself. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I think a lot for females, it can be a lot to take in because not only are you trying to learn how to work a dog, learn your dog, build a relationship with your dog, but you're also having to fight the, oh, well, I'm a female and they wanted another male. So I wouldn't necessarily, necessarily say a leg up, but it, it can be a lot for some trying to perform in this male driven world and also perform and work your dog. They're going to be more of you and your dog. They're going to be more critical of how you go about handling things. It's a lot of pressure that can be put on a female at the very beginning and i think that's where i probably benefited i didn't have to deal with that and i will say at the time when i first started working my dog i had a lot of very helpful people even here locally craig hutchinson at the time he was a sergeant over the county police and he did the training uh, the monthly training and stuff but he also helped me one-on-one -on -one. And he had a completely different way of training than what Alan did. The biggest thing I remember him saying is view training as being in a grocery store. Take off the shelf what works for you, put back on the shelf what doesn't work for you because what works for one dog isn't or one handler isn't going to work for another. So I had the ability to have really knowledgeable people helping me. So I didn't have to worry about dealing with the egos of someone else or having to prove myself. At that point in time, I've had the opportunity to focus on my dog and learning my dog and how to be a good canine handler. 
Man, that's great. You know, even you bringing up the fact that you're getting training from various amounts of resources. I, I think another valid point to, to give to handlers and it, maybe even trainers that want people to think that they're the best and the only trainer out there that can pour into handlers and their ways are the best ways. We've heard that, right? Only do it this way or only do it my way or don't go to that trainer. But at the end of the day, you took off the shelf what could work for you and put back the things that don't. That's great. That's great to hear because there is a million different ways to do things. And I've said this in every episode leading up to this, just don't get caught in the box. Don't get trapped inside of that proverbial box that's ultimately going to hinder you. You know, I was given some stats that says only 12% of law enforcement are females. I would have never guessed that at all. Like, but more staggering, we only have 3% of those 12% that's in a leadership role. Do you think that plays a little bit of a role in the reasons why maybe we don't have more females in, let's say, canine or, or in other specialized divisions? Honestly, I think it's going to depend on the agency as a whole, because I know in Richland County, Sheriff Lot is very big on females. And I have to say, Horry County is kind of the same. They expect females to do well and to be promoted to leadership roles, which is a good thing because it's getting away from that stigma. So I think it's a great uh, turn of events, if you will, on females being promoted and showing that they are fully capable of doing the same type of job as a male would be able to do. In a lot of ways, probably even better when it comes to administration because Let's face it, for the most part, females don't, tend to break. Don't say it. Don't say it. I got to cut you off. Don't say it. Please don't. They, they tend to be a little more organized and than, than some. So, and there again, I say some because there are some males like Sean McCluskey, who was very and is probably more organized than I am. So I can't say 100%, but as a whole, they bring that skill set that a lot of males don't don't have yeah you know i just i look for the correlations right because obviously we train a lot of handlers and you don't see the higher percentages of females coming through training like you do males so you you kind of ask yourself why because again i go back to i, I live in a household of, of females and i can tell my girls they're my boys they they can do anything that they want to do and you know, it's interesting to say, okay, Puckett come up with the fact that she wanted to be in law enforcement. And then again, where does she want to be canine? And then how does she overcome some of these obstacles that they face that a female would face that we may not really be aware of, such as the egos and the other things that you're faced with on a day-to-day -day basis, or at least trying to get your foot in the door. I think now that you're established, it gets a little bit easier because people know you, they know your capabilities. And they know that you're not a girl with a dog. You're a canine handler, period, right? But that took some proving. And the statistics that I have sitting in front of me is pretty staggering. Only 6.6% .6 are female. 
Like I would have never guessed that at all. Why is that? Is it because they don't have more handlers like you to look up to? So I think the number is going to be relatively low to begin with because as a whole, there's going to be a lot less females in the industry. Now, I believe over the years that number has increased and probably will increase, but you're already working with a relatively low number to begin with. And I think a lot of it has to do with your love for dogs or your love to do more than just answering calls and everybody kind of has a desire of what they foresee themselves doing once they get to that point and I honestly think the work of a canine is very intimidating to those that don't really understand it and you know my nickname is Ellie Mae Puckett because I love all animals and I would have all the animals in the world on my property if I could afford it. So I've always had that love for animals. I tell people all the time, it's not something that you just wake up and say, ah, I want to go be a canine handler because you have to have that desire. You have to literally want to put your entire life on hold, if you will, to work a dog because the dog, so much of your life revolves around, you know, the care of, the training of your dog, the working of your dog. If you go on vacation, what do you do with your dog? So all of these are very important factors that a lot of people just probably don't want to be bothered with. There's a lot of factors that have to be taken in consideration when it comes to finding, if you don't have central kennels that you can board your dog at, now you got to find somebody that has the ability to take care of your dog. Yeah, for sure. It's just interesting to see those perspectives that we often overlook in our industry. There's there's a lot more to it than just having fun with a dog or playing with a dog all day. That's for sure. And especially for a woman. I'm going to ask Voice of Reason. She's on this call with us and she's very highly educated to say the least, a lot more educated than I am in a lot of ways. And you know, she's done some research as it relates to females in the workforce and things of that nature. So I, I want to ask her to chime in just a little bit and tell us, based on her research and what she's found on some of the barriers that women face in general in law enforcement and even in other professions, I think it's really just to enlighten us a little bit because this is a topic that we don't generally think about, especially from a canine trainer's perspective, because we're going to wrap this thing up with some pointers from you to help us as trainers and maybe even other handlers that may be on your unit on how we can bring this thing full circle and really maximize our efforts as an industry. So voice of reason, give us a little bit of your perspective on, on this topic. Well, I think that just going back to what you said about getting comfortable being uncomfortable, and this is one of those topics that can be uncomfortable, you know? One of the things that I've read a lot in my research, particularly pertaining to after COVID, a lot of women had to give up high paying jobs to come back home to take care of kids, to take care of their elderly parents or their spouse's elderly parents, or just the house in general. And one of the biggest things that I found in the research for this podcast was 
that retention among female officers is much harder than it is with male officers because women end up getting pulled back home. There's not a good work-life balance, which of course at the end of the day always falls to the woman. I would say eight out of 10 times is what we're going to see. There's underrepresentation, as we saw with those stats with only 3% of females being in leadership roles. And then just leadership in general, not understanding. I actually just had a conversation with Chastity Burke, who will be on our podcast in a few weeks. And she was talking about whenever she went on with Talaferro County, she told her sheriff, hey, I need off for this event for my kids play. I need off for this because it's my kid's birthday party, X, Y, Z, things that, and she told me she went out of her way to make sure the sheriff understood those were non-negotiables. These were happening. Uh, my kid comes first before anything else. And now she's a canine handler. So now she's balancing that as well. The same thing you talked about, where do I board him when I go on vacation? You know, what am I doing when I need to leave early to go to my kid's Christmas program? Things like that, which is likely why these stats are showing that it's harder to retain female officers. So I'd love to hear your perspective on that, because this is such an interesting topic to me. As far as my opinion, uh, I would definitely agree with the point you made. It seems like there's always something that needs to be done or something that's come up and it's just as a whole, everybody looks kind of at the mom or the woman, if you will, to be the one to take care of these things and to handle the children. Or if, if the child is home sick, these are kind of the things that as a whole, the mom is the one that the kids want when they're sick and at home. And I think it's important that any agency there has to be that level of understanding because not even, it's not only just things that come up for the moms, you know, things come up for dads as well and remove the children from it, but life happens. We look at statistics. We look at kind of the environment and what's going on because we don't want to repeat the same old cycle. Here's the top five things that statistics show that female law enforcement officers face that nobody else does. First and foremost is the boys club environment. I think you spoke a little bit about the egos and those things. We multiply that in canine, right? Cause we're all the best. We, we all think that, right? And it's even hard, even from a vendor perspective to break into some units because they, because we sit there with our arms crossed and we already know everything and we can't learn anything from anybody else. Not everybody, but oftentimes. And that boys club environment can be a hindrance to a woman in policing. The next thing it says is some other things that you face that maybe the male officers don't face is that explicit or subtle harassment that's maybe not out in the front, but maybe that's very subtle, but you read it and you know what's going on. The other thing they talk about is sexism and, and that vantage point coming from there. The next thing that I'm going to talk briefly about is the skewed physical fitness assessment. Now, I know the military, the Army in particular, just changed their standards to put it in line because of that physical fitness, the skewed physical fitness assessments that were being given that may not be particularly in line with what a female can and cannot do. What's your thoughts with that? My personal opinion is we have to do our very best to maintain our best. And as far as the physical fitness part goes, you know, there may be 
differences in weights of certain things, but the way I see it is when it comes to shooting, why should there be any difference between what I have to shoot versus what a male has to shoot? Uh, distance. If you're expected to run a certain distance and a certain speed, there shouldn't be any difference in if it's a male or female. Now, when it comes to lifting, there sometimes may be a difference because we are genetically built to be, you know, not as strong as a, as a man is, but that doesn't mean we can, we have to use that as a reason and, or an excuse to not accomplish things. And that's where we have to make the decision to better ourselves. And if that means going and lifting to become stronger, then that means going and lifting. So I think there's certain things that there shouldn't really be any difference because it shouldn't matter for qualification on a firearm, whether you're male or female, it's, can you shoot and are you accurate? Same thing with rifle handling. I am very confident in handling my rifle and I can probably shoot just as good as any male that I have qualified with on the range. But I know that I'm confident because I train it. If you're not willing to put that work into it, then you can't expect to have the same exact results. Yeah, very valid points there. Um, you know, not making excuses and living up to the expectations, right? We can all make excuses for one reason or another. What I hear from you is quit making excuses and live up to the standards from your vantage point. Correct. So the last point that, which will segue us into our last part of this conversation is the other barrier that often women face is the lack of support and opportunities. Uh, and I've heard you name not just some people, but some agencies that supported you in your endeavors to become a canine handler and probably influenced you very much in your career. Uh, do you find the same barriers from your vantage point as what the stats are saying right now with the lack of support and opportunities for females? I can totally see where that would be a huge hindrance to agencies. I have to say I was very blessed in the sense I was the only handler and I knew nothing, but I had the ability to train and to reach out and be mentored by very successful and very knowledgeable people. And I was able to get linked up with Myrtle Beach Police Department and at the time Chris Smith, who was the corporal over the unit. And he was also a huge part in helping me and guiding me on how to be better. And I'm a very. Well, let's, let's, let's stay on Chris Smith for just one minute, because at one time, wasn't that the same handler that was voted the most beautiful canine handler in the state of South Carolina? Is that right? I, I don't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> part at the time to help mold me as well we're getting to the difficult part because i'm going to ask you for some advice i'm a trainer and i hope there's a lot of trainers that are listening to this so from puckett give us some things maybe some pointers that we can take as trainers 
that would help our female handlers out and help them to be and succeed in this industry? What can we do better? I guess is the best way to ask that. I think there's nothing really across the board that you can say, all right, you can do X, Y, and Z, and this will make or break the the difference. I think every person, every handler, every female handler comes from a different background. And depending on what that background is, can kind of pave the way on how they go about being trained. I tried to come in as a humble person that knew nothing about working a dog, but tried to soak up every every bit of information that I could, every opportunity that I could. And yeah. I truly, but you've got some people that come in already thinking they already know everything. And it's kind of hard to, to teach and train somebody who already comes in thinking they know everything. So that, in my opinion, can be a challenge working with someone like that versus somebody that is saying, I am willing to learn everything that you are willing to teach me. So I don't think there's that one thing that you can do that will work on every single person. But I also think that just giving the expectation of this is the job, this is the task at hand, and this is what we need to do. For some advice to other departments, because your department has really, and I've seen it, it's not a lie, your department has really supported you. In, in some cases, I've been surprised that they were able to support you as much as they have been with the way agencies are short-staffed. But you've always told me stories on how they've helped you and let you do this or go to training and, and, and whatnot. Yeah, there's been some difficult times like with any other agency, but you've stuck it out with them as much as they've stuck it out with you. So that's to be commended, Horry County. That really is. And that goes to the leadership as well. So with that being said, is there some advice you can give other departments then that they can do to maybe support their canine handlers or even promote having more canine handlers in their unit? I think overall, if a department wants to start a canine unit is that the question has to be asked, why? Why do you want to start a canine unit? What's the purpose behind the dog? And what do you expect out of the dog? And then also being educated on what that entails. And I have to say, my chief, Tom Fox, has been in my corner from the very beginning and also the sheriff, but the chief, I really feel that he trusts me and my ability and therefore it's easy for him to allow me to do the things that I've been able to do because he knows that when I say I need to do x y and z that I need to do x y and z and it's just not for just because I want a day off or I want to go you know mess around if you will so I think the biggest and the most important thing is to know the why and to be educated on, okay, this is what you want. This is what has to happen in order to achieve this. And understanding that training is the most important when it comes to being proficient with your dog. And I think probably the training for most agencies is hard to grasp because it takes so many hours to get so many hours. And I think sometimes it's 
misunderstood on exactly what it takes to meet those training hours. But I have to say overall, I've received all the assistance and the support that I've needed. And it, it makes a huge difference when it comes to being able to do my job and being the best that I can at it. Those training hours are always a point of contention with those that are say that just may not know how much it takes because canine handling is a perishable skill. And the same thing with stamina with your dog and other things that need to be built to be successful. The most successful units that I see are those that actually train and they don't skate on training, but the results also come with that. And that's the return on investment, right? That's the intangibles that you don't really necessarily see. And the same thing with your department, they've given you the opportunity to train. They've supported that and actually probably put an advocate in their corner, meaning you more so than anybody else. You know, going back to training and things that I have discovered myself is that you find an issue that you have to work on and you spend all that time working on that issue and you get that issue resolved and then you find another issue because this went lacking because you're working on this issue. It's hard to understand that when I spend a lot of time on tracking because that's one of the things that I have still not mastered with my current dog and I put her in an area for an article search and there's so much human odor that she's trying to track because that's all we've been doing and now getting her in the mindset of no we're not tracking we're searching for an article but we hadn't done articles in so long that everything's been tracking so now we got to go back to just doing articles and then fine-tuning that you know when I give the article command this is what you do no, we're not tracking, we're looking for this. Even though it is human odor, it's still a difference in how it goes about being uh, looked for. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's just refreshing to hear all that. It's refreshing to hear perspectives and obviously to talk dogs. I could talk dogs all day. Like, I love it. And I learned from everybody. And we definitely learned from you today. And... I want to give everybody a recap of what Misty Puckett taught everybody today. And I go back to the first thing you taught us, which I think is so valuable and something that we overlook so many times in business and our personal lives. And somebody even mentioned this and they mentioned Simon mentioned relationships and building upon those relationships with communication. But you mentioned maintaining good relationships at the beginning. And it's so valuable. I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I didn't keep a good network and a good amount of people. A lot of the people you mentioned today, I know either personally and, and are good friends with them. And that's why I can joke about them sometimes. They know how I am and I know them. But in the same sense, they are truly great people from the heart that really want to help and really want to make people better because that's where their true joy comes in. It's not really their own successes, it's the successes of others that they have an opportunity to influence. And you've hit the nail on the head and kind of figured that out very early on. Keep good and maintain good relationships. And that's awesome. Another lesson of Misty Puckett is be comfortable 
being uncomfortable. And again, we can tie that into many different facets, both in a trying situation, but in training in the canine world and really reaching higher goals and higher levels of capabilities is through being comfortable, being uncomfortable and working on that, being intentional with that. And I think there's one more lesson that you taught us that is invaluable because I listened to you talk and it wasn't a point that you like brought out. It was something that you said and really stands true through the entire training realm. And you didn't say it this way, but this is what I took from it. Listen more than you talk, right? God gave us two ears. Listen, don't go in thinking you know everything, even if you do. And I haven't met anybody yet in our industry that knows everything. Mm -hmm. I've met some great people that have some great perspectives, but most of the great people that I've met are ones that are willing to learn from everybody. Those that are willing to not only learn from everybody, but also to pour in to other people the same way. So there's several things, well, more than several things. Most everything I teach is something I learned from somebody else, whether it's a handler, whether it's voice of reason, whether it's my wife, my kids, uh, another handler, another trainer. Now I'm gonna give you credit for it, but at the end of the day, I'm teaching you off my experiences and I can't gain experiences if I spend too much time telling you how much I know. And so great points, the three bullet points that I learned from Misty Puckett today on how we can promote and help others in our industry, but also from a female handler perspective, I think it's invaluable as trainers that we listen to that perspective because we can learn so much on how to promote more females in our industry. But Puckett, I'm going to leave you with this and I'm going to challenge you with something today. Be that voice of reason, step up and help other females and encourage other female handlers to take the same paths you took in seeking out and building those relationships and seeking out that knowledge and never taking no as an answer, but also listening to everybody you can listen to. And like you said, Hutchison told you, take the things off the shelf that you can use and put the things back that you can't use. I mean, I've never heard that before, but I'm going to give him credit for that from now on, because that's, that's a remarkable bit of advice that we can all take. So I appreciate you so much and I appreciate what you do. <laughs> Thank you.